So this morning we're um, <clears throat> beginning a new series that, Lord willing, is going to take us all the way through to the Christmas season. Uh, we'll cover this series over the next couple of months. And I've been asking the Lord what he wants us to be focused on in our Sunday gatherings together, what we need to hear from him or what we need to learn from him or be reminded of as a congregation. And after time of waiting on him, he, he gave me clarity on Monday when I was listening to a, a podcast. Uh, before Monday, I knew that I wanted us to focus on something that was going to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus when we celebrate his coming at Christmas. But I, I just didn't know what that focus was going to be. And then on Monday, I was listening to a, a Christian leadership podcast. Uh, it's entitled, You're Not Crazy. There's reasons why they would entitle a Christian leadership podcast that. But, uh, <laughs> and the hosts were talking about what makes Christian leadership different from the world. And as they discussed the answer to that question, uh, they were talking about how a lot of it has to do with the character of the leader and where our character is derived from. And as I was listening to the answer to that and reflecting on it, the Lord kind of dropped into my heart the series that we're going to begin this morning that I've entitled, Who is this Savior? The Heart and Character of Jesus. And my aim in this series is to examine who Jesus is and try as much as possible to avoid and even debunk some of the assumptions that we've made in our own hearts and our own lives about him. And the ideas that that we've come up with about who we think that he is and some of the tilts that we can have in regards to who Jesus may be because of the culture that we live in. And so I want to, as earnestly as we can, kind of consider from the word of God, who is Jesus? What is his character? What is his heart towards sinners? What is his disposition towards those who have come to faith in him and are trusting him? Every single one of us in this room, we have character traits that are the most accurate representation of who we are. And that naturally kind of fires off of, in us in different situations. And so what about Jesus? Right? What, what comes most naturally to him? Who is this savior that we all proclaim as Lord? See, we often focus on what Jesus has done. And we focus on doctrines and we focus on theological meanings. Which if you know me and you've been here for any amount of time, you know I love those things. And I think they're deeply important. Because you have to know what Jesus Christ has done for you. You have to know what is true and you have to understand it. But I think it's equally important to understand why Christ has done what he's done. What is his heart toward us? You know, there's something that's interesting that I've noticed in my life uh, that that some of you may relate to. I don't know if this is kind of a, a universal thing or if it's just me. So if it's not... A universal thing, bear with me, but I came to faith in my mid-20s, and so I've been following Jesus for about 13 years now, and some of you are trying to do the math, how old is he? I'm 38. <laughs> but I've been following Jesus for about 13 years, and, and what I've realized over that time is that in my 20s, first of all, I had a lot more energy, but I was... I was, that maybe just because of the children, but I was more brash in my 20s. I was more bold in my 20s. Uh, I was worried less about what others thought. And I confidently and probably overconfidently knew everything and knew what was right about Jesus. 
right? Like I knew what was right and wrong in faith. Everything was black and white. And my main focus in my 20s was I just wanted to be active for the Lord. Like I just wanted to do whatever I could do in my faith. And in that season, I didn't give much thought to what Jesus thought about me. I, I operated out of the confident assumption that Jesus loved me. He died for me. And so that's all I need to know. And so let's go save the world for Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. That, that was enough for me in my 20s. And then probably the combination of being young in age and new to faith, it gave me this zealousness that didn't require much thought about the heart of Jesus. I just needed to know as a young person that the Christian worldview made sense, that what I believed was true. And I needed to know what God expected of me as a follower of Jesus and what I was supposed to do. I'm now in the second half of my 30s. And I find that I have changed from that young man that I was in my 20s. I am not as bold or as brash as I was 10 years ago. My wife's affirming this right now. (laughs) That can be a good, that can be a bad thing. I find that I can care more about what people think, which is mostly detrimental. I'm much more aware of my own sin. I'm much more aware of my own shortcomings. I have a greater understanding of my own brokenness and a daily need for Jesus Christ. I've lost much of the young arrogance that I had in my 20s because I've experienced more. I have children now. I've experienced far more challenges in life, more victories and defeats. I've had more tough seasons. The season that Kate and I are in right now with four children and trying to serve the Lord is probably one of the toughest that we've been in. I am also much more aware of the state of our world. I'm not operating in the small bubble that I was in my 20s. I see the divisions amongst humanity, the the horrors of a sin-soaked world, the brokenness of men and women. I'm not insulated from things the way I used to be. I didn't think that I was in my 20s, but I was. Recently, I was at a men's retreat, and what was imprinted on my mind and heart from the weekend is the depth of the hurt and the burdens that everyone is carrying. Many have been carrying burdens since childhood. And many have had experiences throughout life that have reinforced the lies that they think about themselves and the fears that have stunted them in their life and in their faith. There's these times when God pulls back the veil for us on the reality of what's happening under the surface of people's lives. And what became abundantly clear to me is everyone in one way or another is limping through life. And Jesus is the only hope that we have for healing. And all of this experience and all of this exposure to much of what I was oblivious in my younger years to has increased my awareness of the need that my heart has to know my Savior and to know what he thinks about me. What is his posture toward me? 
We all need that. We need a foundation. We need a solid rock. We need to know the real Jesus so that we can find real rest in him and have fullness of life as he promised that we would and receive it through him. Sam Alberry recently said, growing in faith is not needing Jesus less, but realizing you need him more and more and more and more. And so the heart behind this series is to help us to know who our Savior really is and know his posture towards us and hopefully break down some false ideas about that we have about him. And the aim of it is that it would bring us closer to him, that we would trust in him more, that we would find deeper rest in relationship with him for the sake of our own faith and what the Lord wants to do through us for the sake of other people. Because we can't be used by God until we trust him and know him. So that's what I hope to, through the power of the Spirit, try to accomplish a little bit of over the next couple of months. So let's pray to that end. Father, as we embark on this new series, I ask, Lord, that you would break down misconceptions about your son and about yourself. Father, that we would come to know you to know our Savior, to know our Lord to a depth that we haven't before. And I know that that's not going to happen through my words, but it's going to happen through the power of your Holy Spirit at work here. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work mightily in this place as we examine from the Word what it says about our Savior and our Lord. And Father, I pray that as we do that, there'd be some in this place or many in this place that would be able to lay down burdens that they haven't been able to before as they trust in you more. That we would walk out of this place after looking at the reality of who you are and feel lighter because we have a savior that holds us fast. And so Lord, I ask that you would do a mighty work in this place and in the hearts of your people and speak to those this morning who are discouraged who are downcast, who just need to be lifted up, who need to see their Savior face to face and remind, be reminded of who you are. Speak and work, Lord, as only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. So to begin our series, we are going to uh, look at the one and only place in all of the gospel accounts where Jesus tells us about his own heart and his own character directly. Did you know that? There's only one place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus directly addresses his heart, and it's Matthew 11, 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There are many I am statements that we find in Scripture recorded in the Gospel of John We did a series on them a couple years ago, looking at the meaning of each one. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life and so on. And all of these statements, they tell us something about Jesus in relation to his purpose and his ministry. And what it is from the Old Testament that he fulfills as the promised one of God. But in Matthew 11, 29, we find the one and only I am statement Jesus makes that tells us about his heart. 
And he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. These are wonderful and surprising words. When considered in the context of our world that we live in, Jesus is all powerful. He is God almighty. He has all authority over everything. If he were a ruler who lived according to the ways of the world, the last thing you would expect him to say is, I am gentle and I am lowly. Just think about it for a moment. Try and think of a politician or a ruler in our world that you would describe that way. It's hard to find someone that you would describe as gentle and lowly. Yet the king of all kings, the one over everything, says, I'm gentle and I'm lonely. And so I want to first look at these two words before we consider the context from the verses around them and the implications for us regarding what we learn about Jesus here. Gentle and lowly are two words that overlap in their meaning with one another. They are almost interchangeable in how they're translated in the New Testament. Gentle comes from the, word, or the Greek word praus, meaning to be mild or to be meek. It's a word that's only used a handful of times in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew 5.5 5, when Jesus is giving the Beatitudes as he's describing the type of heart that his people have to have. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's used in Matthew 21 when Matthew quotes the prophet Zechariah during Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem. <laughs> Sorry, portraying Jesus as the humble Messiah that his people had long awaited for. And it's used in 1 Peter 3 when Peter describes the gentle and quiet spirit of a godly wife. And so the same word is translated as gentle, as humble, and as meek. The other word Jesus uses to describe his heart is lowly which comes from the Greek word tapenos, a word that is used eight times in the New Testament that is most translated as humble. The use of this word in the New Testament has as much to do with referring to an individual's character as it does to referring to a person's circumstance or response towards another person. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it's used to describe a humble character saying of God, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. While in other places, it describes a person's circumstance or a person's response to those around them, such as in Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Or 2 Corinthians 7, 6. But God comforts the downcast. Or 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who hunger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So lowly is used in the New Testament. It's a word that speaks to circumstances as much as an individual's moral excellence. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, but when describing his own heart, the words Jesus decides best suited him are gentle, meek, lowly, and humble. 
So let's look at the verses around these words so we can come to learn the meaning of these traits. Because in our culture, gentleness and lowliness often have negative connotations to them and are viewed as weaknesses, which would be an inaccurate conclusion to make about Jesus. It's evident that though he is gentle and though he is lowly, there is no weakness in Jesus. You see, there is a difference between gentleness and the weakness that is demonstrated in passivity. There is a difference between lowliness and the weakness demonstrated in being a pushover. Jesus is not passive. Jesus is not a pushover. In fact, the section of scripture right before the one we're looking at, in that section, Jesus denounces unrepentant cities very directly and very forcefully, displaying very clearly his strength and his authority and his willingness to confront when it is required. Matthew eleven twenty one. 21, he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Those are strong words. In fact, if you read all of Matthew 11, it can be hard for us to wrap our heads around it. Because it starts with Jesus speaking pretty boldly to some messengers from John. And then it goes to him denouncing these unrepentant cities. And then it ends with this gentle and quiet encouragement. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it causes this kind of like, what's going on? Who is this Jesus? And the reason why it causes our head to spin and and may even cause us to conclude incorrectly about Jesus' character is because the balance of strength and gentleness of power and control, of fierceness and delicacy that Jesus shows is disarming to us. Because people often operate in one extreme or the other. Rarely do we find both, and so it disorients us when we do. To be strong and powerful does not mean that Jesus is not gentle and lowly. What it means is he applies the appropriate strength in every situation. In moments when strength is needed, like we see here from Jesus, it is strength that involves no grandstanding. It is strength that has no pride behind it. There is no assertion of his position or, or anything that has to do with the sake of self. It is powerful and direct without harshness or undue burden. In the case of the woes that he speaks over Chorazin and Bethsaida, Jesus is not being harsh. He is giving an appropriate warning to a people whose hearts are hard. They witnessed his mighty works. They saw amazing things. They were without excuse, yet they remained unrepentant. And he knows that they will be held responsible for what they knew and did not respond to on the day of judgment. Jesus' woes to them were not from a heart of damning them, but a heart of concern. Because anyone who would turn and repent would be welcomed by him. 
and experience the gentle and the lowly Savior that he is. Some of us have had that experience before we knew Christ. He needed to rattle us. We had a hardness of heart and he needed to speak strongly and fiercely and powerfully to us so that we would hear him. And we came to him and we experienced that gentle and lowly savior. Toward whom then is the Lord Jesus primarily gentle and primarily lowly? Toward whom is the the same strength that calls out unrepentance applied in the most tender of ways? Well, Matthew 11, 28 tells us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is gentle and lowly toward men and women who are laboring and who are heavy laden, who recognize they are weary, they are burdened, but they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn for help. He bids them, come, come to me, find rest. The Greek word that's translated labor or weary in some translations means to be worn out, to be depleted, to be exhausted from toil. You know what that means? It means to be oppressed. It means to, to work with pain. It means to over labor. It means to be stuck in a snare like one that is preyed upon. That's what toil means. The Greek word translated heavy laden or burdened in some translations means to be overloaded. It means you are carrying a weight greater than you are able to carry. Does that describe some of us this morning? Yes. You know, maybe you're here today and maybe you know Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. But if you're depleted, if you're exhausted, if you're stuck in a snare, if you're overloaded, if you're carrying something greater than you can carry, the gentle and lowly Savior bids you to come to him. For the Jews who heard this, their minds would have gone to the weariness that was caused by the law. They were living under such a heavy yoke of the law because of their their religious leaders. They just kept piling more and more laws and more rules and more things that they needed to abide by upon the shoulders of the Jews. And so when they heard this, that's where their mind must have gone. It was impossible to live by the law at this point. 613 laws? Come on. Nobody can do that. But for them and for us, Jesus' words are an invitation to lay down whatever your burdens might be. They can be many. And you know right now in this moment what you are carrying. You know right now in this moment what needs to be laid down. Some of you are here this morning and you are weary and you are worn out. You've been toiling in your own strength. You are under a yoke that you are not meant to bear. 
And the gentle and lowly Savior invites you to come to him. Some of you are burdened. You can't carry what's upon your shoulders. And Jesus says, come. You won't find rejection. You won't find rejection when you come to Jesus earnestly. He's the one who invites you. He won't turn you away. He will give you rest. And for some of us in this place this morning, what we need to hear is that it's our own pride that keeps us from coming to him. It's our own pride. We refuse to humble ourselves and lay down what we're carrying. We know it's too much. We know we can't do it. But our pride won't let us. There's some of you in here this morning that is exactly your situation. We can trust this gentle and lowly Savior with our hearts. And men, I'm talking about us too. We can put on a really good exterior as men. But as much as your wives, as much as any woman in this place, your heart needs rest in Jesus desperately. Your heart needs to understand that your Savior is gentle and lowly. You need to understand that your heart is delicate. And he can be trusted with it. If you're here and Jesus is not your savior, and you're carrying something, honestly, whatever you're carrying, if you don't know Jesus, it's too much for you. You trying to carry the responsibility of your own life You can't do it. You need him. Matthew 12, 20 says, I love this verse. A bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoldering wick, he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Isn't that an amazing verse? You know what that means? It means our hearts are incredibly delicate. And Jesus can be trusted to hold the most delicate heart in his care. A bruised reed is on the verge of breaking. And some of you are on the verge of breaking. A smoldering wick is just a small orange glow whose light is almost out. And the slightest disturbance is going to cause that reed to break and it's going to cause that wick to snuff out. And if you rely on yourself or the things of this world, you will break and you will snuff out. But if you rely on Jesus, as Sam Albury writes, he says, Jesus is able to deploy his care with such surgical forensic precision that the most delicate and fragile of things can be tar- taken and nurtured with utter care and protection. 
That means there's no wound that Jesus cannot heal. There is no hurt that he cannot handle. There is no weakness that he cannot empower. There is no lie that he can't untangle. There is no failure. There is no sin that he cannot pick us up from because he is gentle and lowly. Remember earlier when I said the word lowly? It often has to do with a person's circumstance or relation to others as much as their virtue. Well, just as the the verses I read says, associate with the lowly, comfort the downcast. That is Jesus's approach to you when you come to him. He doesn't recoil at your circumstance. He, He doesn't put up his nose at your sin. He's not shocked by you. He went to the cross for you and all of your dirt and all of your wrong and all of the horrible things that you've done. He doesn't recoil at them. That's the very reason he spread out his arms on the cross. If you think he recoils from you, it's a lie. You can come to him and you can know you'll find rest If you're wearied in your burden, whether it be from your own sin, whether it be from trying to walk through a broken world, he's there. He's not going to condemn you. On that note, you know, I know we're talking about Jesus. But I want to broaden this a little bit because I want to break down some false beliefs. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. That no one can come to the Father except through him. And he says in John 14, 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. To which Philip, oh, Philip, he responds, John 14, 8, Lord, show us the Father And it is enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say, that I speak to you, I don't say them on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to you, and he says to me this morning, if you know me, you know my father. If you have seen me, you have seen my father. I am in him and he is in me. My words that I say to you, I say them by my father's authority. And in John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the father are one. This means that Jesus came on this earth to reveal the character of his father to humanity. 
The Old Testament decrees no one can see the Father and live. And so Jesus Christ came to show the Father to us. And if we know him, we know his Father. If we have seen him, we have seen his Father. Do you know what this means? It means when Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly, those words are from the Father. And they describe Jesus and they describe our Father in heaven as well because they are one. And there is a false belief in some of your minds that somehow Jesus is approachable and God the Father is not. They're the same. Jesus' heart for you is the Father's heart for you. He is gentle and he is lowly. And some of you need to rest in that this morning and know, no, your heavenly Father loves you. Jesus' heart for you is our Father's heart for you. Not what you've made up in your mind. Not what your earthly father was to you. Not what lies you believe. He's gentle and lowly toward you. I want to end just by considering briefly what kind of rest does Jesus give us? Verse 29 again Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We find rest when we come to Jesus and take his yoke upon us and learn from him. We must come to him through faith. We must be born again by the Spirit. Confessing and believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for our sins so that we may have life. And then we need to walk with him. We need to walk in step with him. He puts his yoke upon us. A yoke that is easy and a yoke that is light. Apart from Jesus, we're yoked to something. And it's heavy and it's weary. But we put his yoke upon us and our Savior is so much stronger than us. He carries the burdens that we can. And he helps us. And we need to learn from him. We need to learn from what he commands us. We need to learn from his own life. One of, the, one of my favorite things that came from the conference that I was at, just a, a little fun little line, but it's so, it's so true. One of the guys said, we're living a NASCAR-paced life following the Savior who walks. And for some of you, you just need to learn to walk. You need to learn Jesus' pace and walk with him. The rest that we find in Jesus is not a rest where we just sit and do nothing. 
It is an active rest. We continue in the things that we do, in our work, in our homes. But the difference is that we do them connected to Jesus, not in our own power. And for a lot of you here this morning, that will literally just mean slow down. You just need to slow down and allow him to lead you and allow him to guide you. My prayer and my hope for all of us as we go through this series is there'd be things that we would say, oh, I thought I knew Jesus, but I didn't. I had a wrong thought about my father. I had a wrong thought about my savior. And I can trust him and I can come to him with more confidence than I could before. That's my hope.